Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio, another true story from True Story FM. I'm your host, Megan Strand with Engage for Good. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com. episode of Cause Talk Radio, we're doing something a little different. Last month, we had the honor of hearing from Realized Worth's Chris Jarvis in a webinar called Leveraging Employee Volunteering to Build Equity and Empathy. And in this webinar, Chris walked us through a few truly fascinating concepts as it relates to creating allies in the workplace and how volunteering can help us be true allies instead of performative ones. But what was most interesting to me about this webinar and why I wanted to share a piece of it with you today is that Chris talks about neuroscience and why we behave the way that we do. It turns out that our brain resists having to learn hard things because it costs us energy. Chris helps us to both understand this phenomenon and then overcome it. This webinar excerpt also introduces something called a disorienting dilemma, and it's how we learn and literally requires our brain to be rewired. And it is fascinating. I literally cannot stop thinking about this concept. So that's why I'm sharing just a piece of Chris's webinar here with you today. If you want to hear the full webinar, and I absolutely recommend you do check it out, make sure to go to the show notes at engageforgood.com. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoy it. Have you ever heard the phrase, I don't know what I don't know, or you don't know what you don't know? That's where we start. This unconscious incompetence. When we're exposed to a new idea or a new thought for the first time, we're unconsciously incompetent. We just don't know what we don't know. So we get into a situation like I did with the science separates, and we're confronted with maybe a disorienting dilemma that's absolutely key to learning. It means that my experience does not line up with my expectations. So I went and I expected a bunch of gruff folks who lived hard lives on the street. And I find people laughing and carrying on and inviting me to sit down and telling me jokes. And they were really kind. They said, thank you. And they were polite. I'm thinking, wait, these, I, these people feel like really normal. Like there's some things that aren't my shared experience, but what do I do with that? That disorienting dilemma opened me up to realize that I am consciously incompetent, right? There are things going on here. There are things with people facing addiction, uh, with people that we call alcoholics or homeless or whatnot, that I am oblivious to. And I become conscious of my incompetence. And as I began to learn more and more about these issues, I become consciously competent, meaning you sort of embrace and become comfortable with the understanding that This is, I would say, late stage two. There are things that I don't understand, and I'm okay with that because I know how to manage that, how to learn, how to access, how to become more competent. And then the last stage of unconscious competence. This is where you're just in the role. I will never be homeless, but I feel like I've been able to make a connection with the the folks in Halifax anyways, where I feel like I can fit in at an unconscious competence level, just how we talk and carry on and what I know fits and doesn't fit. It's a long way away from the first day when I walked in and saw those guys playing basketball, right? Think about it like the way you learn to drive. You back out of the driveway when you're first learning. Your mom's yelling at you or your dad's yelling at you. Did you check your mirrors? How many mirrors are there? There's a car. Oh, my goodness. What about the sidewalk? There's little kids on the sidewalk. Don't drive on the lot. Like you're thinking about everything. You're unconsciously incompetent. You move to conscious incompetent pretty quickly and you're terrified of driving or maybe you should be. 
And then you move through so much so that you become unconsciously competent and you're driving home and you miss your exit because you don't even think about driving. You're caught up in your head or a phone call or something else and you just blow past your exit. That's kind of how it works. Now, this is a nice learning matrix, right? Does this resonate? I would love to see in the chat, my first question, I'd love to see in the chat, any idea or concept that you've kind of gone through this learning matrix, this conscious competence learning matrix with, right? So you were confronted with um, materiality assessments or something with cause marketing or something along those lines. And you were like, well, I knew nothing about SEL, for example. And then you became more aware of it. I just write your name in, or maybe you have your, your name's going to show up anyways. If there's any concept or topic where you feel like you've moved through these similar to driving, love to see it in the chat box. And remember, um, at the end of the show, we're going to be giving out a free iPad to the person who uses the chat box the most. I'm lying. Um, but make sure you do it so we can put your name in for, um, for that free iPad that's not happening. Okay. Let's just pretend it's happening. Okay. Now that learning matrix is nice and easy with those steps, but here's the reality. And this is where we begin to zero in on this idea of allies and inclusivity in the workplace. Unconscious competence to conscious incompetence to conscious competence to unconscious competence is not a nice, easy set of stairs that you just have to walk up. The human brain resists having to learn for a fundamental reason that it costs energy. It just takes too much energy. And it takes energy because to learn something in a way that you can actually use it, you have to code the memory. You have to emotively tag the memory. You have to create new synaptic pathways to access the information. And it's not just one bit of information. It's throughout your brain. And so the first part of the process, the natural inclination to learning about things like implicit bias, racism, inclusivity, diversity, inclusion, and all of the stuff that comes with that is denial. You dig your feet in and you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I am not a bad person, right? You go through this, anything like this where you're confronted with sort of a behavioral um, um, exposition or examination we sort of go to denial, then fear, then anger. And most people, in my family anyways, and probably in your family, including me, the first time somebody confronted me with the fact that I had some implicit bias that I couldn't see and that was usually at play, I thought, I have, no, 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 that can't be true. And then I went to fear really quickly. Whoa, whoa, are you kidding me? No. And then I could feel some anger. Like I wanted to justify myself and push back. And this move from unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence demands fear, anger, and resistance as part of it. And it's just a natural inclination. These are the emotions that go with our brain pushing back. There's sort of a sense of who we are that we're pushing on. Um, but there's also a resistance to learn, a pain of learning that we would describe as fear, anger, and resistance. Okay, so then once that happens, through, at some point in conscious incompetence, you accept it, you become open. Uh, disorienting dilemmas help with openness when your experience does not line up with what you expected. Okay, like those homeless guys were all very polite. I didn't expect that. Why? Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. And then you start to test it. 
and you relearn. And this is understanding the meaning of the change, and then you move into integration. So while the the other uh, learning matrix is nice and easy to understand with the steps, this is in reality the emotional cost and drain on everybody who's got to move into a more open, accepting, belonging mindset. And the most belonging person among us, because they're using the same brain that, that I inherited, we're all from the same group, right? Like we can source ourselves back to the same ancestor. We're all dealing with a version of the same thing. It's just how this goes. Okay, so this is a typical change curve overlapping the learning curve with the three stages in the, as a reference point to kind of bring some color to it. So now we're going to move into the next part. Before I do that, though, I want to go uh, to the chat box and just say, I really appreciate everybody who's uh, writing in here today. So Katie Anderson wrote, P2P fundraising, I'm saying this in case somebody's on a phone call or, or called in on the phone and they can't see the chat box. P2P uh, fundraising, that was Katie's uh, response. Uh, Megan being of a CASA, volunteer, court-appointed special advocate. Okay, that's a good one. Um, Mindy, hunger within this country. Absolutely. That's a great one. Black Lives Matter. That is uh, a dominant topic that I think we could all relate to in some way or another. Um, Ally Murphy, uh, Ally Murphy, uh, Ally, <laughs> that's funny, running a virtual conference. Oh, Miss Murphy, that, uh, that seems like there's <laughs> a steep learning curve. Agency collaboration, supporter engagement, and grappling with the long term effects of redlining. Uh, Michelle writes that. Yeah. Listen, um, if, if you don't, if you've not seen a great, uh, um, maybe somebody knows this, uh, Adam ruins everything. He has a great show. Uh, Adam ruins everything. Uh, and redlining. If you look that up, you, you'll blow your mind. Uh, Michelle, maybe if you've got a great, um, link to understand redlining and what it is for anybody else in the call, I encourage you to put that in the chat box as well. Okay. So now let's anchor this in some science around how our brains change. Now, I want to preface this with saying the way you see the world is true to you because it's the way your brain is wired. You cannot see the world as it actually is. You can only see the world as your brain allows you to see it because of the wiring in your brain. Uh, for example, dolphins use sonar, so do bats. We don't. We can't see the world that way. Why? Because our brains aren't wired that way. That's a physical example of what I'm talking about. But even a perspective in terms of how we perceive it based on when we grew up in the world, right? In the 80s, in the 60s, in the 2000s, where we grew up in the world, who our parents were, the class we were in, the education we had, um, the language we learned, the people in our group. All of this has, has created a wiring mesh in our brain that determines what we see in the world. And we often talk about in our employee volunteering that something doesn't intrinsically have meaning. We bring meaning to the experience. So you have an experience. All of us will have, could have a version of the same experience. But we all bring a different meaning to it because of scaffold memory. That means that the way you understand the world is based on what you learned before. I'll just take a second to highlight a book. I, I, I highly recommend it in light of what we're about to talk about here with neuroscience. Uh, David Eagleman, write this down or I'll, I'll provide it afterwards. David Eagleman, Live Wired. 
it's his most, he's a leading uh, neuroscientist in the world. And this is his latest book. And uh, Live Wired is probably the most layman accessible uh, doorway into neuroscience and the, and the phenomena of the brain and neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to reshape itself in light of what it needs to know and the context in which it needs to exist which it's doing right now, your brain is rewiring itself in light of information that it's taking in or in light of the emails they may be doing on the site. I don't know, but it is constantly reinventing itself. And this book in the book, he says, um, there's this day in uh, matrix, uh, which I thought was such a cool movie. I still do. Um, uh, Trinity, she is coming up to this uh, helicopter and she said, and uh, Neo says, you know how to fly the helicopter? And she says, not yet. And she hits her, her uh, calm button and uh, she dials out to the guy. It's too complicated to explain. And as she says, can you download into my brain the instructions to fly this helicopter, a Huey or whatever it was. And it's downloaded. And she says, now I can. And they get in the helicopter and they fly away because they're inside this simulation. It doesn't matter. But if you read, if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what scene I'm talking about. Um, turns out human beings could never learn that way. Because if you grew up, learning to ride horses, you would lay over top of those young childhood experiences, all the knowledge and information about flying a helicopter, and that would be a reference point. If you grew up driving a tractor, that would be a reference point. If you grew up and the only thing you have ever driven before was a car when you were 16, that would be your scaffold memory on top of which this would lay. So we all see things in a very unique way based on how we've learned or how we've grown up. But here's what's true for everybody. A disorienting dilemma is the first step to changing the shape of your brain, the actual neural structure of your brain. Disorienting dilemma, as I said, is when your experience does not line up with your expectations. I expected to walk in the room and this to happen. It didn't happen. So what is going on? And that question, what is going on here, is instrumental to neuroplasticity. And when people come in, to volunteer with their outgroup. And I and you remember at the top of the call, I said in-group versus out-group. David Eagleman, perfect. Thank you, uh, Megan, for putting that in there. Um, your out-group is going to bring this disorienting dilemma a lot more than your in-group, okay? And that's what happened to me. And you open up and you begin to ask questions. This is a concrete experience. Your sensory cortex is stimulated. And you move into a learning state. Your brain becomes more plastic because it starts to shoot out to the relevant parts of your brain um, a certain chemical that I cannot yet pronounce. Um, again, uh, some of these things are over my pay grade. But this chemical gets shot into your brain and it just moves, just restructures a little bit. And there's some actual interesting footage of neuroplasticity that's possible now with the, the kind of microlensing that they have. But then that goes, the next stage is critical reflection. And so as we have experiences with employees who volunteer, we always set them up with a disorienting dilemma in a brief. This is what we call a transformative approach. And I'll give you an example as soon as this is done. Let me explain the, the cycle of neuroplasticity and this experiential learning. Um, this was, uh, this slide was produced by one of the faculty of the RW Institute. 
um, Dan Glazinski, who teaches this stuff uh, in, at the uh, University of Minnesota. And it moves from disorienting dilemma to critical reflection, where we begin to replay it over our, in our head. And we were trying to resolve the cognitive dissonance that exists between what we know and what we experienced. And that's where true learning happens, because we could think um, in strong stereotypes. All humans think in stereotypes or shortcuts to make their heuristics, to make decisions. And all of us have these cognitive biases. But when they're challenged, we reflect on it and we try and resolve the, the dissonance, the, 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 the what I know, what I just, what just happened and what I thought would happen. We have to resolve that. And then rational dialogue, the opportunity to discuss it, abstract conceptualization, where we're having conversations either with ourselves or with three people around us. We're trying to make sense. It's sense making. And then we move to committed action, which is where we go back to volunteer or we go back to a situation, have another experience to test out whether our new theories about the way the world works are actually true or not. Then we have more subtle disorienting dilemmas. We reflect on that. We discuss it. We have another experience. And this is why this chart right here is why employee volunteering is like a gold mine for diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in the workplace. And that is because diversity, equity, inclusion efforts in terms of a lecture format or the typical HR learning um, environment provides information, but it does not affect behavior because information on its own without experience does not stimulate neuroplasticity. We need our brains to change in order to see the world differently. If we want to be more inclusive, we need to think those people belong. In order for the, us to see those people as belonging at a subconscious level, we need to change the way our brains are literally wired to work. And this is where employee volunteering provides an untapped goldmine for DEI efforts because it combines what Starbucks tried to do a couple of years ago with let's close all our stores and do this training for half a day with then the ability to actually test out those assumptions, have rational dialogue after we do critical reflection, go into committed action and then test it out again. That's how we become more diverse, more inclusive, more equitable is through these experiences with our group. With all our groups? No. With, with everybody at all times? No. But it's a process that we can learn uh, over time by just selecting one group to go and try and learn more about. And as we become more able in this, we'll see ourselves moving through these four steps of unconsciously incompetent, you don't know what you don't know, to being consciously, uh, unconsciously competent, where it just becomes second nature. Amazing. Well, thank you all for being here, Chris. Thank you for sharing amazing, amazing knowledge and resource. I know I learned a ton today. You'll all get the recording of this. You'll all get Chris's fantastic slide deck. Watch your email for the next 24 hours. We're going to put a couple links that Chris Chris mentioned as well. So thanks again, you guys. And Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing all of this incredible insight with our audience today. And I hope you all have a tremendous, tremendous week. Keep fighting the good fight, you guys. Thanks, everyone.